thou shalt be saved. Simple as that. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you're willing to acknowledge his majesty, if you're willing to acknowledge his power, his supremacy above all things, if you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus is, that he's Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave, that he got up with all power in his hand, and he is ruling and reigning in glory right now, interceding on your behalf, on my behalf. Not just you believe it because someone told you. Not just you believe it because it sounds good. But you had to believe it because there were some situations where you needed Jesus to be Lord. Some situations where you said, God, if you don't show up right now and take rule and reign over this situation, I don't know how I'm going to get out. I don't know how I'm going to get over. If you believe that Jesus can and he will and he has, that's the type of belief. Simple as that, amen. Amen. Praise God for a time of worship, for our praise team, um, for leading us and preparing our hearts. And I would like to say to each and every one of you, welcome to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. And I was honestly walking to the other side, preparing to come through the door. And I was just saying in my heart, Lord, it ain't fair. It just ain't fair that I get to show up on Sunday morning and to preach your word to your people. I said, Lord, it just ain't fair because I'm not worthy. privilege could a man have than to preach God's word to God's people that souls would be redeemed that lives would be transformed and that souls would be snatched out of the gates of hell what greater privilege could we have than to worship Jesus Christ what other treasure is worth more than this beloved privilege we have in the gathering of the saints on Sunday morning? We're not worthy, but he says, worship me anyhow. We're not worthy, but he says, I'm going to put, put the fruit of praise on your lips this morning. He said, we're not worthy, but he still woke us up this morning in our right mind with a decent portion of hell. We're, we're not worthy, but he still uses the worst to declare the best. We're not worthy, 
but God stepped in. We're not, I don't know about you. I'm not worthy. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive in Christ by grace, we have been saying we're not worthy, but grace stepped in and appeared to allow a people to give praise to him this morning. Why don't we get a Lord a hand and clap of praise as we prepare to enter to worship. If you would, so turn with me in your Bibles on your devices to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And as you do, I just want to mention quickly, uh, this is a long passage that I do plan on reading. If you're able to stand, uh, please do in honor of the reading of God's word. But again, this is a pretty long passage. And beloved, as the Lord was dealing with me this week, he just reminded me, we are living in a time where superficial faith just won't work anymore. Superficial religion ain't going to get you by these days. There's so much chaos and so much confusion. See, there was a veneer that everything was all right. And when there's a veneer that everything is all right, uh, a, 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 a false religion can still get you through. But a, a type of faith that is built upon uh, trite expressions just won't do. You can't live on just what those sayings your grandmama them taught you. We're going to have to live and stand upon the word of God in this entirety in these days. In these days, we need a faith that's built upon a relationship with the solid rock and not built upon mere religious activity. This is what Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. If you would join me in the first verse, Matthew, the 23rd chapter, and we are actually reading to uh, chapter 24, verse 2. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. 
Woe to you, blind guys, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe, mint, and deal, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be, be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple, was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here upon, here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This morning I just want to speak with you on a subject, what happens when your religion fails? What happens when your religion fails? Father in heaven, we do thank you for your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. We ask that you would speak 
and that your servants will hear. This in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. You know, family, as many of you would already know, in the business world, your days can so easily be filled with meetings. Staff meetings, project meetings, team meetings, company meetings, client meetings, all kind of meetings taking place. They can literally fill up your entire day where you're meeting so much you actually don't get any work done. But I remember there's one type of meeting that I found interesting every single time I went to one. The come to Jesus meeting. And if you're in the business world, you kind of know what those come to Jesus meetings are. It's when something is going wrong, there's some type of wrong behavior, something just ain't right, and it needs to be corrected right now. So you get the team together and say, come on, y'all, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. And it's in those meetings that what is wrong is exposed. What is uh, going off track is tried to be placed back on track, and everything that needs to be aired Differences are aired. Expectations are aired. Everything that would hinder the forward movement of the company is aired in these come to Jesus meetings. And it was in these hard conversations that one would receive a warning of the consequences to come if they continued in the path that they continued to journey on. And I would argue this morning, beloved, that in the text before us, we have the inaugural come to Jesus meeting. As Jesus is meeting with the, himself and Israel's religious leaders. Jesus has come to a point in his ministry where he's done talking. Because based upon all of the events leading up to this moment, the religious establishment has demonstrated that they were not going to receive Jesus as the Messiah. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just that they weren't willing to receive Jesus as a, uh, a wise prophet, as the Messiah, as another teacher, but they were actively in uh, opposition to his ministry, always trying to uh, discourage the people, always trying to trip him up, always trying to make that situation a situation where Jesus would be caught up and people would no longer believe him. Instead of pointing the nation to Jesus, all of these religious leaders continued to point the nation of Israel to themselves. They wanted the accolades. They wanted the glory. They wanted the recognition. They wanted all the likes and all the posts on their quotes and their little words and their sermons. And instead of making the kingdom of heaven actually accessible to the people, they created all kinds of barriers and hindrances for people to get to heaven. Instead of leading the nation in repentance with the arrival of the kingdom, they were leading Israel away from true repentance and faith in Messiah. Those in charge of the spiritual condition of Israel had fully failed to do what they were called to do. These religious leaders 
were sort of like those leaders in Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. In Jeremiah, it talks about woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Their entire job was to point the people to the coming Messiah and to nurture their spiritual condition. And in all of their responsibilities, they have completely failed to do what Jesus had called them to do. And now, this text the time for religious hypocrisy had come to an end because the religion of the scribes and the Pharisees was a total failure. This is what I believe the whole, the big idea of our text is before us this morning. Religion is doomed to fail when Jesus is not at the center. And I define religion not, not a way of practicing worship, but a uh, a form of just religious activity one performs with the ultimate, uh, which ultimately seeks to satisfy self and not the Savior. That's, that's what religion is, uh, a performance-based religion. That's what religious hypocrisy is. Religious activity one performs, which ultimately seeks to satisfy self and not the Savior. You only come to church because it makes you feel good. You only read your Bible because you know your grandma going to ask you if you read your Bible today. You only pray when there's a circumstance that you feel you can't take yourself. You only are involved in anything with God when it suits you. It's just a religious activity. And Jesus says enough is enough. And like a skilled prosecutor, Jesus walks through their failures as a leader and pronounces the judgment to come if they continue to refuse to repent. I believe in the text, Jesus lays out a three-form case. He lays out the case for judgment, the charges for judgment, and the conviction for judgment. The case for judgment, the charges for judgment, the conviction for judgment. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus makes the case for judgment. Again, Jesus is, is with the crowds. He's in, he's in and around the temple. They're there celebrating Passover week. This is his passion week. He is about to go to the cross, and he is talking to the people. And as he is speaking with the people, the, uh, the religious establishment continues to challenge his authority, question him, and try to trip him up. So Jesus finally makes the case that they are going to be condemned, and this is why. Jesus, his case, his whole case stands against the scribes and Pharisees because of their religious hypocrisy. They're religious hypocrites. They are the picture of do what I say, not as I do. And Jesus says, they're so bad. They sit on the seat of Moses. Listen to that. But don't do what they do. What is Jesus even talking about? He is using that figurative language to talk about the seed of Moses. And he's talking about one who sits in authority to teach the Mosaic law. So what Jesus is saying, uh, y'all listen to him when he's reading the Torah. Listen to him when he's reading from the commandments of Moses. But uh, after, after they read the commandments of Mo Moses, don't do what they do. 
Don't go where they go. Don't, don't act how they act because they are so wicked. They are religious hypocrites that will only lead you further away from God and not closer. Beloved, 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 may we never be a people whose way of life, whose pattern of life is do what I say, not as I do. But may our pattern of life be just like Paul, where he says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Because when a religious leader uh, lives in a way that says, do what I say, not as I do, they lose all credibility with anyone looking on. And beloved, I submit to you today, if there's any group of people that has lost credibility in the culture, it's Christians. Those who, who would profess to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we profess a way of living. We say, you need to follow these commandments, and you need to follow God, and, and you need to obey. Well, all the while, we do the exact opposite, hating neighbor and loving ourselves. Jesus continues to make his case. He says flat out, for they, they preach but do not practice. They say one thing, but do another thing. You know, I need to move through this text so much here, but one of the most disheartening things in the life of a Christian is that they will come to church. I, I'm not accusing this church, not y'all, not, not just some Christians out there in the world somewhere, that they will come to church and sing and, and, and preach and testify to the power of God but somehow it seems like the power of God stops at their front door. We would say God is able, but we walk through our door and we think we're able. We say God is, Jesus is Lord uh, at church, but we go home and everybody better treat us like we're Lord. That religious hypocrisy that the, the scribes and Pharisees would say is like, just, just listen to me. Don't pay attention to my life. Even though my life is speaking loudly, just don't pay attention to that. They, for they preach but do not practice. But then Jesus lays out uh, uh, part of their case is the fact that religious hypocrisy harms. He says they they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but, they're not, uh, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. The, he's saying the, the rabbinical traditions that were laid out uh, around the, the law, around the Torah. Let me explain quickly for some who are not familiar. So you, you had the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, for an example, and what the Pharisees would do is... They would create a system of traditions and ways to do things that was outside of the Ten Commandments to try to help you from not breaking the Ten Commandments. So it'd be, it'd be just a, a, a list of things that you should and shouldn't do based upon their rabbinical interpretation. So what they had done was constructed so many rules outside of what God had told them that they were laying this heavy, it was a weight to go to the synagogue. It was a weight to enter into the church doors. 
Before, before someone would get to the synagogue doors, I can only imagine what they were thinking. Okay, did, did, did I wash my feet? Did I, did, did I have, do I have the right uh, clothes on? Do I have the right hair? Do I have, and, and but even before they come into the presence of God, and the scripture says where the Lord is, there's liberty, but yet they were entering into a situation where they had to bind themselves in order to worship. This is what the, the religious establishment had done. People weren't free to worship. They weren't free to be who God created them to be as an expression of his glory. They were expected to conform to uh, a particular tradition whether, uh, rather than the word of God. And it was such a weight that it actually hindered people from entering into the kingdom. These heavy burdens... Religious hypocrisy, it, it harms you because it, it places unnecessary, undue burdens upon a people who only want to be free. But not only does Jesus talk about their religious hypocrisy, how it harms, but he says their religious hypocrisy is hollow. Because they do all of their deeds to be seen by others. It's really not about them being faithful. It's really not be, uh, about them being obedient but it's all about what somebody down the road would think about them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Their So the phylacteries were, is this black leather box that they would wear on their heads as they would do their morning and evening prayers. And inside the box would be small scrolls with scripture written on there, like Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord. It, like, those scriptures would be written on them, and it would be placed upon their head in order to remind them to be obedient to the word of God. And then uh, part of the strap would, uh, would come all the way down to their left arm, and they would wrap it around their, their hand. And all of this was a symbol to remind them of God's word being before them. So what they were doing in order to appear more religious, they just, they went and got really, really big church hats. And they got really, really, really sweet gator shoes. And they, and, and they got really, really fancy on the outside. So when they walked into church, people would say, oh, my they must be really blessed and highly favored. They did all of that in order for people to think about them a certain way. The fringes or tassels in the ancient Near Eastern tradition, the men would wear like those flowing garments, like robes, and at the end would be these tassels again to point them back to the word of God, to point them back to the law. So, so the woman with the issue of blood where it says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch one of them fringes, I would be made whole. So, so, so even Jesus wore these tassels, but they would wear them extra long or, uh, in order to make people, again, think that they were more than what they really were. And in all of this, they were living in a way that other people's expectation was at the center of their religion instead of Jesus. It says they love to be seated in places of honor in the synagogues. And it's like everywhere you go, 
I, we, were, we were privileged to, to just attend a fantastic wedding of our very own sister Anna and brother Jerome, the newlyweds, in the house today. But, and the wedding party would come in, and the wedding party would have reserved seats in order for them to sit down. And uh, the groom and the bride would sit in, in a place that was reserved, and, and rightly so, though, right? But they, they expected everywhere they went. They walked up in McDonald's, they like, where are our front row seats? They walked up in, 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 in Wendy's, where are our front row seats? And they were always expecting to be the center of attention wherever they went. It's kind of like they were living in our social media world. Always have to be out front, always having to be seen, always paying that extra 20 for the VIP seating. Because their entire life was based upon what others thought about them. Jesus goes on to say they had a love for being greeted in the marketplace. There was those folks who, who would go somewhere and, and everybody would come and shake their hand. Oh, how you doing? It's almost like the stars on the red carpet where everyone would just take pictures and, and like just, just throw themselves at them. Come on, beloved. Celebrity means nothing. They would want people to see them as celebrities, and they love their titles of rabbi, father, and instructors. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that we should never use titles, but what he's saying is that th their love of titles for elevation was the center of who they were. They didn't, they didn't get the title because of the expertise that came with the title. They got the title just so you can call them doctor. Like, you've been knowing them 25 years. You're like, oh, what's up? Such and such. No, it's doctor such and such. Like, what? Like, I knew you were around the block. You trying to be fancy now. It was that type of posture of arrogant spiritual elitism. But this is where Jesus cuts them at the knees, and he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says, the world that you're living in is really upside down. You think because you're getting all the glory means you mean something in this life? But let me tell you what, it's the lowly people who will be exalted in my kingdom. It's the folks who don't need the recognition, but they're still faithful. It's the folks that other people may talk about because they're so zealous for the Lord, but, but, uh, and, but they don't care what anyone else may say about them. They're still going to be faithful. They're the people that's left out of the fun because they don't act like everybody else, but they're still going to be faithful. Those are the people that will be exalted in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is that when, when he is not the center of why you do what you do, it's religious hypocrisy. Beloved, we got to be careful. Because if Jesus is not the center of why we sing, it's hypocrisy. If Jesus is not the center of why we give, it's hypocrisy. If Jesus is not the center of why you come to church to worship, it's religious hypocrisy. If Jesus is not the, uh, the center of why you serve, why you read, why you pray, or do anything, if Jesus is not the motivating factor, it's religious hypocrisy. So Jesus brings this case of religious hypocrisy, but then he goes and, and brings the charges 
in this case. He, he, he indicts them with his woes because he quickly turns and he uses this prophet, prophetic form of speech uh, that is used for accusations which would immediately precede judgment. So we you think back to like Habakkuk and Isaiah and Amos where, where God would say, woe to you. He's saying, y'all better watch out now because judgment is coming because you're acting like this. This is your last warning. I ain't going to tell you again. In the verses 13 through 15, the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of being barriers to the kingdom. Jesus says, in all your hypocrisy, you actually shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. People are seeking the kingdom, and you're keeping them away from it. As a matter of fact, you're so zealous to, to make people like you and look like you that you, you travel to sea, you travel to, oh, you'll go, you, you'll go miles in order to find someone to convert them, to make them look like you, and not even realize that they'll be a greater child of hell than what you are. Because they're following you and not me. Jesus says they're guilty because the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of their misplaced priorities. Verses 16 through 24, he talks about these oaths. And he says, whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God. They had come up with this complex system that if you swore by the temple, they're really your oath wasn't binding. It was like saying, yeah, I promise, but having your fingers crossed behind your back. It really, it really didn't count. But if you swore by what was in the gold in the temple, then it actually means something. So, the, so instead of like, no, just believe me, it's like, no, I swear to God. I swear to God. Like, that, that's, what they, that's what they were doing. And Jesus says, you, you fools. Do you think the gold in the temple makes the temple holy? Do you think the sacrifice on the altar makes the altar holy? All of these religions, all, all that you're doing, they're holy because of who they point to, not because of you. And Jesus says, you, you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin? What does that even mean? These were, no, these are spices, right? So Jesus was saying that you are so detailed in your religious hypocrisy that you're willing to go out to your garden and pick those little pieces of, of spices and give, and give the church, uh, uh, give the synagogue a portion of that instead of actually living in a way that produces justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're missing the whole point of, of, of why... You are leading the nation. You're caught up in the, in the details of the faith when you need to be caught up in the, in, the, in the main point of the faith. Make the main thing the main thing. Don't get caught up in all the, the small things, but get caught up. Do you love God or do you love others? Not if your shoes was clean when you walked in the door or somebody else's shoes was clean, wasn't clean when they walked in the door. He says, don't get caught up on those little things. So they were guilty of having misplaced priorities. The scribes and Pharisees, they were guilty of false righteousness. You, you worry about cleaning the outside. You, look, you worry about looking good on the outside, the place that, 
that everybody else sees, but you're really not worried about working on your own sin issues. You want people to think you got it together when you actually don't have it together. And I found this interesting. You are like whitewashed tombs. Within are full of dead people's bones. So in one aspect, what he, he, what he is saying is on the outside, you look clean, you look put together. But, uh, but on the inside, you're actually full of the stench of, of a dead man. You're rotten in, to the core. But as I was looking at this, too, it, in a sense, when, 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 when Israelites would come up to the city preparing for their religious uh, ceremonies and all that they were to observe, the people would go out and make sure that tombs were clearly marked with this white wash because if you encountered a dead body, you were considered to be unclean for seven days, and that meant you couldn't participate in the religious activities that you had came to see, right? It's kind of like being quarantined now, right? So to keep people from becoming unclean, they would paint the tombs white so people would see them from a long way and know not to go that way because they want to be kept clean. So what Jesus is saying is you paint yourself white to make people think that you actually are caring about their righteousness. But you're actually not. You blind guys straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, both this entire text is so thick of Old Testament symbolism and tradition and laws. So every winged animal was considered unclean. So insects were considered unclean, except for like crickets and stuff like that. And certain land animals were considered unclean. So both gnats and animals were considered unclean. But in their religious tradition, Anything smaller than a lentil, it's like, no big deal. Don't even worry about it, right? No big deal. He's saying, you, you so worried about stuff that ain't nobody else worried about that you missing the whole point. You worried about the gnat while you swallowing the whole camel. You worried about if someone teach or preach fr from an iPad versus whether you've even read your Bible this week. You, you worried about uh, how they looked at you when all your words this week have not been edifying or encouraging. You worried about how, how they offended you because they didn't acknowledge you when you came in the door, but you, you haven't went into the presence of God in the throne room all week in prayer. He's saying religious hypocrites worry about those little things and not care about the big things. They were guilty of this false righteousness. The, the scribes and Pharisees, were, they were guilty of co-conspiracy. And he lays it out here. He says, y'all are guilty from all the blood from Abel to Zechariah. In the Hebrew Bible, it's laid out a little different. In the Hebrew Bible, it's laid out the law, prophets, and writings. That's the order. So the law will come first still, like Genesis. Genesis the first five books of the law, uh, of the Bible, that's the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the law. So that will come first. And in Genesis 4, we see that Cain kills his brother Abel. 
he's the first righteous martyr because his offering to God was accepted. It was righteous. But then at the end of Second Chronicles, Zechariah is killed by the king. So what he's saying from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and everything in between, y'all guilty. Y'all guilty. And you have a blood, you have blood on your own hands. You are co-conspirators with all of Israel who have ever disobeyed. And that is why he says, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Judgment is coming. Separation is coming because of your religious hypocrisy. When religious hypocrisy is the pattern of your life, no matter what you do, you still stand guilty before the Lord. Does not God say, I, I'd rather have your heart over sacrifice. Then lastly, Jesus renders the conviction. In verses 37 through 38, he begins to tell them, Jerusalem, I, I, I would have gathered you in. But because you, you, you did not come, because you did not allow me to gather you, he says, verse 38, see, your house is left to you desolate. He's saying the presence of God is going to leave the temple. The house where you worship, the spirit of God is going to leave because you have not been faithful. And when the spirit of God, of, when the spirit of the Lord leaves a place, nothing but hell and chaos will fill that place. And historically, in 70 AD, Rome came in and destroys the temple completely and utterly. But it's like there's almost like a little hope because Jesus says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe Jesus is looking towards Isaiah 45 where he says, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Jesus is saying at some point when you see me, you are either going to see me Filled with joy because you belong to me. Or you're going to see me filled with sorrow because you don't belong to me. Because at the end of judgment, it doesn't say just the knees of the righteous was going to bow. He says every knee shall bow. Those who trusted me, those who received me, and those who rejected me. Every knee is going to bow and acknowledge that I am Lord. And whether or not you trusted him will depend upon whether that moment will be exceeding joy. Because Jesus is coming to rule and reign upon his throne. That the moment you've waited for all your life for him to usher in justice and, and righteousness and holiness in that land of no more. For those who are looking forward to Jesus, when we see him and he, and he says every knee shall bow, we're going to be prostrate on our face. We're going to be so delighted to be in his presence. But, beloved, there's going to be some who are going to be cast off into hell who are going to hate that moment because they know that there is no more chance. There's, there's no way they could can, can ever be in this presence ever again. That this is the last glimpse of glory they will ever have for eternity. And they will be filled with sorrow 
And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire with a memory. You're going to have memory that says, oh, I rejected Jesus September the 9th when pastor was preaching. Somebody tried to tell me about Jesus at work. And I rejected him. Somebody tried to tell me about Jesus at vacation Bible school, and I say I didn't care. Somebody uh, tried to share Jesus with me uh, on, on the job, and I said, you believe in that stupid stuff. And, and all for all eternity, you're going to bask in the sorrow of never being able to be in the presence of Christ. Beloved, the presence of Jesus will not dwell with religious hypocrisy. It is my sincerest prayer that the Spirit of God will always stay in this place. As we prepare to celebrate our church anniversary of 154 years of gospel ministry, I pray until if the Lord so tarries another 200 years that his spirit will always be in this place. His spirit would not depart from this place, that he would never, he would never forsake us because we would have never turned our back on him. Beloved, it simply comes down to this. Is Jesus really the center of why you do what you do? Is Jesus really why you do what you do? Is Jesus at the center of your religion? And this is amazing, though, because even in spite of their continual wickedness and rebellion, Jesus, he still reveals his heart, right? He still reveals his heart because he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to. I know you sinners. <laughs> I know you wicked. I know you no good. How often I would have gathered you, your children, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. I, I know where you came from, and I still wanted you. I know what you did last night, but I still wanted you. I know all the embezzling and dirty stuff that ain't nobody else saying. I, I, I know what you did, but I, but I still want you. Though you've been far from me, and having to care about, I, I, I still want you. You may have been born on the other side of the tracks, but I still wanted you. You may not be all sophisticated and eloquent and all you do, but, but I still wanted you. You may have been rejected by everybody else. Your daddy might have rejected you. Your mama might have rejected you. Your granddaddy, your entire family may have rejected you, but I still want you. Even after all that, Jesus says, I, I would have gathered you to myself in spite of who you are. But you were not willing. But you were not willing. Jesus is trying to say to them, you will be mine if you just let go of your religion. Let go of your religion and start hanging on to me. Beloved, have you had a come to Jesus meeting in your life? Where Jesus has encountered you in such a way that you are willing, ready, and able to turn from your wickedness and trust in him? Have you had a come to Jesus meeting where he's revealed your sin to you and you, Lord, and you cry out, oh, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner? I need a Savior. 
Have you had to come to Jesus meeting where you realize that I can't do this in my own strength anymore? Have you had to come to Jesus meeting where you just say, I'm tired of faking. I'm tired of acting like I got it together. I, I'm tired of, of worrying about what other people think about me. I'm tired of trying to put on a happy face. I, I'm tired of trying to make it look like everything is all good in my life. Have you had to come to Jesus meeting where you say, I give up. I can't do it no more. I've been living in, in rebellion to you for too long, and I have to stop. Have you had to come to Jesus' meeting? Today may be that day, because Jesus says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave, that you shall be saved. That whosoever, ha, that whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Why don't you have a come to Jesus meeting today? Just set it all on, just, just stand before the Lord and air all your dirty laundry. Lord, I'm sorry I cussed them out. I'm sorry I went there and I'm, I'm sorry I did this and I, I'm sorry I did. Oh, Lord, don't nobody else know about those skeletons in my closet. But, Lord, I'm ready to confess that to you right now so that we may get this straight. Because at the end of the day, if your life is not straight with the Lord, you're heading for judgment. The failure of religion is this failure to save you from your sins. Because only Jesus' blood and his righteousness can we be saved. Father, have mercy upon us today. Father, please forgive us for every ounce of religious hypocrisy coursing through our veins. And may we remove ourselves from the center of this religion and place you back on the throne. For Lord, we've already seen how it ends. All of the universe, all of the stars, all of the planets, the entire cosmos, all of creation, those past, present, and future. It says, all those who have cried out to King Jesus, save me. It says, we're all going to be standing around your throne. You're going to be at the center of it all. So, Father, help us to make you the center of our lives today. Father, please speak. We need you to speak. We need you to save. We need you to rescue because religion ain't going to get us through anymore. We need you. And we would be careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In the matchless name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen.